Hello, my friends. Thank you for listening to the Wesley Memorial Church podcast. This is Clark Chilton, one of our associate pastors here at the church. We're in a sermon series called Advent Preparing for Christmas. Advent is that time of year where we know it's not quite yet Christmas, and that's okay. A time of preparation, a time of waiting, a time of seeking God and drawing near to God as we take this journey together toward the manger on Christmas Eve. Christmas is a wonderful time of year. It's also a stressful time. It's a time uh, when we remember those in our past or we miss loved ones. It can be a, a time of difficulty as well, and we acknowledge that. We want you to know that we're praying for you. If you want to join us for a worship service any Sunday at 8.30, 9.45, or 11 a.m., we would love to see you. To learn more, visit wesleymemorial.org. And now here's this week's message on Advent, preparing for Christmas. So my 42 years of life on earth, I had the first experience I've never had before. I got a jury summons in the mail. Now when you get a jury summons in the mail, what's the first thing you think? How How can I be a good citizen and serve my community well? (laughs) Right? Good taxpayer, proud American. No, you think, how can I get out of this? Am I pregnant? No, I'm not pregnant. Am I nursing? Maybe I, no, I'm not nursing. I could plead insanity and pretend to be Luke Skywalker or something like that. No, I can't do that. No, when you got the jury summons, you got to go or at least call the number the night before and try and get in line to be a good citizen, you know, as a Christian on this world. We know we need to give to Caesar what's Caesar's, give to God what's God's to honor the rules as best we can of the law and places in which we live, of course. But we know ultimately we answer to God alone. And yet the Bible tells us that even though we live in the midst of a physical 3D kingdom that we can see and hear and touch and we acknowledge the laws of the land, the thousands of laws on the books, we also know that the Bible tells us there's a kingdom that reigns over this one, that this is not all there is, that there is a kingdom that's higher. There is a king who reigns over the heavens and the earth. And that one day all will know of that truth. So we live in a bit of a dichotomy of our human condition, as the believer you do, because you know that on the physical realm we have this kingdom and we have a spiritual kingdom in which there is a king who reigns, that we really should prepare for reign, because he reigns over the heavens and the earth. C.S. Lewis said that enemy-occupied territory, that is what this world is. Christianity is a story of how the rightful king has landed. You could almost say landed in disguise. And it's calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. The king has landed. The king has been born. The king was foretold to be born in Isaiah chapter 9. That a king, a son would be given to us. A child would be born in the land of, from the land of Galilee. It's very specific. It's incredible. Isaiah was written in the year, around the year 700 B.C. So for millennia, the words of Isaiah have been telling the world, the king will come. Then after the king was born, we know that the king has come and that he will come again, that he reigns above the heavens and the earth, born of a virgin. Now kings on earth, rulers here on earth, they're elected by elections. They could steal elections. They uh, they're done so by, you know, fiat or uh, coups, if you will. That's how people come to power here on earth. But how 
does the King of kings and Lord of lords choose to come into his reign on this earth under the cover of darkness in a backwater town that no one acknowledges just for a, a few shepherds and some th- three wise men and that's it. The king has been born in, as you could say, landed in disguise, if, if you will. And even then the world tried to kill him and to snuff out this king who reigns. But of course, with God, nothing is impossible. So we're doing our series we're on called Advent Preparing for Christmas. We've been taking out our journey bag as we've been journeying toward the manger on Christmas Eve. Uh, I'll, I'll review our items again for those of you who weren't here Uh, The first week was a righteous branch would be born, as foretold in the Old Testament. So we have our very, oh, I've lost some greenery here. Um, It's a righteous stick now. The righteous branch would be come out of the stump of Jesse, out of the lineage of Jesse. So we know that has happened, that that Jesus was born through that lineage, and that out of the dead stump of the covenant with Israel, a new king would emerge, and that Jesus fulfilled that prophecy perfectly. We also have uh, our stoplight, focusing really on the yellow and the red, that sometimes when we wait on God, we're not wasting our time, but it's actually waiting time is not wasted time. Sometimes um, what God does in us while we wait is better than what we're waiting for, that it's more about being with him than it is about what you're trying to get from him, that that's more the reward, but sometimes um, no is the best answer you can get while you wait, and if you're waiting on God for something, don't hop out of line. Don't give up, don't get impatient, but keep pressing. Last week, we spared no expense. We talked about joy, and that uh, we, we found some joy here um, in our bottle of joy. Uh, it's, a, it's a bottle of dial. We wrote the word joy, joy on the front. Uh, carry joy with us no matter where we go. Now, here's today's object. Some of the lawyers in the room might enjoy this. We're talking about rain. I managed to get a gavel. Got a gavel here that our king reigns. He reigns above the heavens and the earth, and that, and that as Christians, we acknowledge we live underneath that reign, and that's not oppressive. It's actually freedom to live under his authority as Lord and King of Kings, and so that's the object we carry with us today. There's something I've learned as I've gotten older is that laws of the land, not everybody follows them. Isn't <laughs> Case in point, I was driving to Florida for Thanksgiving on I-95. Who's ever driven on that glorious stretch of land? The speed limit is 100. I think it's just a question mark. It's the Autobahn, basically. Um, it's 70. I'm, I'm, in a very godly way, I'm pressing, I'm just bending the limit. I'm not, I'm going about 80, you know, ish. I had a, a friend of mine was a cop, and he, and, and he, he always used the adage, if, if, if you go nine, you're mine. If you go nine over, you're mine. So I'm trying to get around nine over. Well, there's people going by me going 100, 100 plus, just whizzing by. You know, I've, re- I've realized that sometimes the laws of the land, not everybody acknowledges those, that, we, that not everyone lives under the rain, if you will, that they should. That society is really built on self-governance, that if we can't govern ourselves, things start to break down, that society loses cohesion when people can't acknowledge and live under some sort of authority or some sort of reign that you answer to. See, without self-governance, laws don't have really have any meaning. And you can't make people good by law, that there's a deeper problem in the human condition. And without Christ in your heart, without Christ sitting on the throne of your life, 
then you really can't have that check on your conscience that you need to live a holy, godly, righteous life. And so that's what really being a Christian is, is that you invite Christ to be on the throne of your heart and your life and to let him be king of, king of lords of lords. And you're thinking, does that mean I lose my identity? No, quite the opposite. You actually grow more and more into who you were meant to be. Uh, and he helps restore your life and makes you perfect more and more in love as you grow on and on in your life. C.S. Lewis said this as well. You cannot make men good by law. And without good men, you cannot have a good society. And it's such a true point that there's thousands and thousands of laws on the books, and as important as they are, and they try to elicit some sort of reign over people's lives, not everybody, not everybody obeys them. We're really good at breaking law and not obeying reign, if you will. So because of that, he says, we have to go on to the second thing of morality inside the individual. What is the issue with the human heart? Why do we enjoy being in the darkness? Why, do, why, why are we hesitant to come into the light? Why do we feel this thing called shame? And it could be because, because there, is a, there is a king who reigns, and there is a law, a spiritual laws that are in effect. And then we break those, we, we deep down know it. So how do we have a, have a good morality inside the individual, as he says here? How do we acknowledge the, the reign of Christ in our lives? Well, the first is the acknowledgement that, like I said, laws of the land, they can't cure the spiritual illnesses of our day. Government can't fix the problem of sin and death and, and immorality. They can't fix the, the ailments of the human heart, that you and I are the war inside. The real war that happens happens here and here. And how do we change that? Apart from God's grace, we cannot. It's really only his work in our hearts and lives. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and motives, he says, secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. And we're going to look at today in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah starts this chapter with a well-known sentence we've all heard before, that a child has been born to us, those who have been in darkness have come upon a great light. And he also says something interesting in Isaiah 9.1. He says, nevertheless, that time of darkness will not go on forever. So I was thinking, what time of darkness is he referring to with this prophecy he wrote down? We have to go back to Isaiah 8 to get a picture of what he's talking about. And it's a spiritual darkness. It's a general sense of spiritual darkness that's over the human condition, outside of time, across time. People have not changed very much over the years. We have the same issues we've always had, which is rebellion against God and needing to be redeemed by his, having Christ in our lives. So there's really two things here in Isaiah 8 and 9. You've got a reign of darkness that Isaiah pictures for us, paints for us, and also a reign of light in Isaiah 9 with the sun being born to us as he prophesies. So let's look at Isaiah 8, verse 20. He says, listen to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict his words are completely in the dark. They will go from one place to another, weary and hungry, and because they are hungry, they will rage and curse their king and their God. They will look up to heaven and down at the earth, but wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. They will be thrown out into the darkness. So he's, it goes back to people who contradict the word of God. You're in the dark spiritually. So he's giving us that context of humanity. And, and then in Isaiah 9, we'll move toward the reign of light. I once met a man many years ago at a church I worked at who uh, came to Christ in his mid-50s. 
And uh, it was a dramatic conversion experience for this guy. And he was, he was a hard drinker, a hard partier. He was cheating on his wife. It was just that kind of a situation. And God completely changed his life. And I remember he said to me one day, how did I not see this sooner? I mean, his eyes were opened to the gospel. He said, he said how did I not see this sooner? I wish I had my, the, the light come on, if you will, when I was a younger man. And I would have had an opportunity to really live more into this glorious gift that God has given me. And he said, hey, but I'm, I'm thankful. <laughs> I'm thankful that I've seen it now for what it is. And the light came on in his life. And here's what I learned about that guy, is that the light is especially for people that are in the deepest of darkness. Those that are at the deepest, darkest place in your life, that's who the light is for. The people who are weary, the people who are hungry, the people who are angry and raging at God and their king, the people who are restless deep in their souls. Those are the people the light has come for, as Isaiah shows us. When I was in college with some campus ministries I worked with, uh, we would show this film called the Jesus Film, which is what you would expect. It was a film about Jesus. It's the most viewed movie in the world. It's been watched like, by billions and billions of people all around the world. And so we did a screening one day outside for students to come and watch it, and not a lot of people came. Um, but there was a little group on campus that we called the witches, because they were witches. Um, they were all black. They were very pale. Uh, one of them, a girl, she had a pet tarantula, and she would hold it in her hand and walk around campus. Yeah, it was real. It was a real tarantula. And, um, <laughs> and just, that was her thing. That was their deal. It was like darkness and witching and whatever that's all about. And so we showed the Jesus film, and not many people came, but except two of the witch people came. <laughs> and I remember seeing them come, and we're like, oh boy, the witches came. This is so exciting, you know? And, and we didn't have an argument or anything. We just talked to them and said, you know, would you like to watch part? They watched a little bit, and they left, you know? But it was interesting to me that the people who are in the deepest, darkest place are always the ones who are the most drawn to the light because they're, they're, they're really hungry for it. They know deep down that's what they need, that, that they're desperately searching. They're a very dark place. I remember another night on campus, we'd pray over the campus. We'd pray over the, the quad, the center part of where I went to school, and we would read scripture out over the campus, and, and God did a lot of glorious things while we, that season of time in, at, at, in school. And I remember one night we were, we were praying, and I looked up, and there was this girl in a tree. She was like, it was like a Zacchaeus or something, like off in the distance. It was like 11 o'clock at night, and, and it was tarantula girl. She, she was up in a tree, and she was peering. In other, in other context, I'd be petrified, okay? She was like peering at us and like checking us out. And I just thought, you know, no one else is out here right now, just like four or five of us praying, and, tra- and, and tarantula witch girl is up in a tree. I thought, what's happening here? She's being drawn to the light. The light is pulling her toward. She, she's hungry for what, this, what God can offer to her. See, the reality of darkness, it's all around us. It's everywhere. See, without Christ, people are rebellious. We know we're born into sin, that we're estranged from God, apart from Christ. Oftentimes, we are our own worst enemies. And God doesn't want us to grope around in the darkness any longer. But he wants to reign over our lives with the kingdom of light. And it's difficult because this kingdom on earth, it is in rebellion to the kingdom of light. 
It is. We are what's, you know, a broken or bent or deaf to the things of God in our natural state, I should say. And so people naturally go, well, there's so much pain, there's so much suffering, there's so much darkness in the world. Why doesn't God do something about it? Why doesn't God stop this, this, or this? And I say, whoa, 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 back up on that question. You're asking the wrong question. Why is there darkness in the first place? Why is there suffering? Why is there difficulty in that regard? It's because we are people in rebellion. We're a people who reject the light of Christ. And God has offered ultimately a stop to this world, to our rebellion. And it is this. To us, a son has been born. To us, a child has been given. This is his answer, that Jesus is what you are searching for. He is the answer you are looking for, deep, deep down. He alone can answer the darkness of the human heart. Richard Foster said, There is enough evidence for those who want to believe in God and enough mystery for those who want to turn away. That's a powerful statement. There is enough evidence for those who want to believe in God. The the Psalms say that the stars pour forth speech night after night declaring his wonder and his majesty and his glory. The reality that there's even a a sense of shame or guilt points to the fact there is a moral law and therefore a moral law giver. And yet the Bible also says the fool says in their heart there is no God. There's enough mystery for those who want to turn away. There's also enough evidence for those that want to live in the light. And God gives us the choice. But then Isaiah gives us this picture of the reign of light in contrast to the darkness. Look at this in Isaiah 9, 1. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, and there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. I mean, think about that. That's, <laughs> that's literally pointing to Jesus with that statement. The, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For for those who live in a land of deep darkness. God's light is for those who are in darkness. It is for you if you're in a place of darkness today. His light is for you here and now. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. His rule, he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. The book of Colossians in the New Testament gives us a picture of how, how, like, how do you let this rule or reign? What does that look like in your life? Now, on a daily basis, it could be, of course, prayer and reading scripture and being in a small group and and growing spiritually in that way. That's how you acknowledge the reign of Christ in your life. But it's also a, a realization that you can't, you can't take it for yourself. It's something you need to earn. The, the, really, the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3, he paints the picture when he says, he says, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts or reign in your hearts. The imagery he gives is that of putting on a cloak, of... of of receiving a garment, where he says, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds you together in perfect harmony, 
And then he paints a picture that this, the imagery, the language here, is that it's when you have Christ rule in your hearts, you put on this cloak, but you don't put it on yourself. That the reign of Christ is he puts it on you himself. And that you invite it, but he's, he will give it to you. He will say, I will rule and reign over your life if you'll let me. If you will let me bestow this on you. I will make you white as snow. Even though your sins were scarlet, I will make them clean. Even though you live in a place of darkness, I will make you white as the light. I will make you pure and blameless in my sight on what Christ has done on your behalf. So the question today is, does Christ reign and rule in your life? Have you let him bestow the joy and the peace and the hope that he will give to every human heart that will prepare him room? As you think about those things, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you do rule and reign and that it's difficult in this world to acknowledge it sometimes. That the rain seems to not be happening sometimes with the darkness we see all around us, the lack of light, the lack of clarity, the lack of detail. But we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're with us in our darkness and that your light has come specifically for those of us that are in a place of 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 deep darkness, of being utterly lost, of being completely restless and feeling alone, or that your light has shined in this world for those people. And I pray for anyone that hears my voice, they would hear these words and know that your light is for them. And that your, your word says that you desire for all men and women to come willingly into your light, that this is the judgment on this world that all men and women would come into your light without shame, without fear, to know that your invitation is for all people that will trust you as King of kings and Lord of lords and to not hide in the darkness any longer. Lord, by faith, we step forward toward you today and pray, O oh God, that you will be born anew in our lives this day. Come, O oh long-expected Jesus. Rule and reign within us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.